We are all born with a purpose, yet identifying what that is can be very challenging. It can be even more challenging to find purpose in your business. So, is it possible to find purpose in your business and make profit at the same time? Not only is it possible, but a business led by purpose can be even more profitable than one that is simply led by profit. Join Robert Fakui as he explores how to be purpose-led and profitable while making a positive impact in your community. Hi, this is Robert Fakui, and welcome back to the Purpose and Profitability Podcast, where we believe that having a profitable, purpose-led business can lead to community transformation. And today, I'm honored to have as our first guest, our first official guest for this podcast, the Chief Servant Officer of Nehemiah Project, Patrice Seguet. Uh, Patrice is not only a coach and teacher and author and all that stuff, he's, a, he's an entrepreneur and we'll, we'll get to that. We're going to really unpack his story. But Nehemiah Project is the actual sponsor for this podcast. So it's only fitting that my first guest should be the sponsor. Um, and not only just for that, but he's got a great story that I'm sure is going to inspire a lot of the entrepreneurs out there. And you know, keeping with the theme of purpose, this this month, this first month of the podcast is really about purpose. How do you identify your own purpose for what you're doing, not just for you personally, but even through your business, that, that you can have a fulfilled life um, personally and even in your business life as well. So, so Patrice, welcome to the podcast, and I'm honored that you, you agreed to be on. Thank you so much, Robert. I am honored to be on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and so you know, Patrice asked me to host this podcast uh, a couple of months ago. So I figured, and then he um, interviewed me for his podcast. I figured I might as well turn the tide here, and so I can do the interviewing here, so I can ask him the questions. And we want to really get into his his past a little bit. We'll start with his his past. He's got a very interesting past. He's originally from Cameroon, Africa. So Cameroon is not Girl Scout cookie, but it's actually a country. <laughs> it's a country in Africa, and. Um, very uh, rich past, and I really want to get into this because um, there's there's so much so so much here, Patrice. So, yes, you're you're married. You've got teenage daughters that are keeping you active and moving, uh, as well as all your entrepreneurial activities. But take me back um, to your time in Cameroon. Your parents were entrepreneurial, even political. Um, I mean, just gosh, just a rich family history. And so tell me a little bit about your, your, your childhood and what was that like in that entrepreneurial family? Yeah, thank you, Robert. Growing up, it, first of all, I had a great childhood. I'm so blessed, uh, full of optimism. Uh, my mother was a can-do kind of woman. Um, she's the one that really instilled in me early the bug of entrepreneurship and the desire to do business because I saw in her um, that the fact that business can be a conduit for good. I saw and heard that business gives freedom, allows you to create jobs, enables you to really um, have the margins, uh, both in time and treasure, to be able to, as we call it in, in, the, in Cameroon, to be able to fund your own politics or, or your own ideas or your own uh, worldview, in a sense. It's like one thing to have certain beliefs or have certain ideas or whatever, but it's got to be financed. And what I saw my mother, a businesswoman who had a passion for politics, I will say that my mother, she's really, her heart was in politics, but her mind was in business. And so she used her business to really fund 
her passion, which was politics. She was one of the best politicians in the country, outspoken, um, really a preeminent leader. And uh, my father was divorced. And my father left her before she became who she became early. My mother was a princess. She was born in the royal family. When she met my father, he was a small entrepreneur with, uh, with, with cabs. So he owned a cab and had other cabs. And my mother was an opportunist. I think she thought of what she fell in love with him because he used to always transport her wherever she needed. <laughs> and I'm assuming it was free. <laughs> no, my mom. Family <laughs> discount. Yeah. yeah, that's right. <laughs> so they fell in love. He became kind of her, her transporter. Uh, and I think through that, he kind of fell in love. Well, but then who she was and the kind of family she was from, um, as they had children and uh, my sister and then me, I think it became overwhelming for my dad, uh, just marrying to that kind of family and his friends, you know, kind of uh, told him, unfortunately, that he, he had married uh, way above his, um, mm. his pay grade, if you, mm. if you will. Oh. And so she left him uh, because he didn't think he could cope. The other thing is my mother was a big spender, uh, not in herself, but just she was, a, you know, big ideas, uh, lots of ambition. So he just felt like she's going to bankrupt us, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I think he left in part intimidation, but also in part overwhelmed by her dreams and by her ideas. Mm-hmm. And, but he lived to regret because she went on to become a major force in the country, uh, very wealthy. And he, he, she ended up hiring him. So she, <laughs> Well, that's interesting. My father was from my mother for a long time, actually until he retired. Oh, wow. So, okay. So they got divorced and your mom hired him? <laughs> <laughs> Not immediately, obviously. Uh, when she, oh, that would be interesting. <laughs> yeah. They maintained a good relationship. I, you know, growing up, this was like weird in Africa. Now think about it. Uh, I used to visit him on weekends, you know, and I don't remember my father and mother living together because I was two when, they, when he left. But the first, my first kind of um, visual impression of my father was me visiting on weekends. You know, he had a little little house that he, I think, owned or rented, uh, maybe about 30 minutes from where my mother lived. And so we would go on weekend and we would take money with us. It was like we were the wealthy kids going to visit their, you know, their, you know, working father who was just struggling to, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to make. I mean, he was okay, but he was nowhere near, you know, maybe a working class kind of guy. Uh-huh. So, so that's kind of how we grew up. And so my, my mother always taught us to respect him and to uh, see him as our dad and to give the honor due to him. When he hit hard times, she hired him. So it was much later. Hmm. Um, but you know, my mother never forgave him, though, because hmm. on the one end, she would always make sure that we took care of our dad, that we were mindful he was our dad, and that we were there for him. Hmm. But if we went too far, if let's say, for instance, if... Um, you know, I did something for my dad where she didn't feel that I did for her or if, you know, whatever. She would remind me. She said, you know, you know, he left me when, I was, when you were two years old. But she was great. Yeah, great woman, very forgiving. But I don't think she fully ever forgave him um, <laughs> because they were, they were good together. Uh-huh. But my dad was also an enabler. So I think in a certain sense, how he stayed with her, um, she, <laughs> she would have been shipwrecked yeah, because uh, I think he loved her too much and, and didn't have enough of a strong backbone 
you know, to kind of put his foot down. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's part of why he left. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so you share, she's, she, your mom was a visionary and all that. So I'm like, okay, as you're talking, I'm like, okay, now I know why Patrice is the way Patrice is. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I have been cursed with this, Robert. <laughs> well, it's a curse and a blessing. But you know, for those of you that don't know, I'm on the board of Nehemiah Project. So that's, that's our job as the, on the, as the board is to try and rein in a little bit of that excitement because we're looking at the, we're, we're, we're like, we're like your mom's, we're like your dad. Like, He's going to bankrupt us. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, we know that uh, there's a lot of great things ahead. So like your mom, we also see the greatness that you've, well, you've already become. We'll get into that. Um, so certainly we, we indulge that <laughs> because we know that's also the, we, we need that part of that. We need the vision. So um, now you know you got to pray for my wife. But poor wife right? <laughs> well, I've always prayed for your wife, <laughs> but, but now it's just at a deeper level. We're just going to get Gina. Don't worry about <laughs> We got to talk. <laughs> um, so tell me about uh, in Cameroon till the age of what? And then you moved to the United States. Uh, 11 years old, about 10, 11. And, and what triggered that move? Because it was uh, just you, right? It, it wasn't, the, wasn't the whole family. It was just you. No, just me. Well, my mother, her routine was every year she'll send people out of the country. Uh, okay. Typically it would be uh, nephew, nephews, aunts, uncles. She was kind of known. She, I think she shipped more folks out of Cameroon than anybody. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like that her a, calling. A, that was the chief export was people. Yeah, no, she was like the export of people out of Cameroon. And so my, so my grandmother who raised me, because uh, my mother obviously was, was too busy with business, she... Um, she felt a strong sense that I should be sent away um, because uh, my grandmother intuitively, she kind of felt that I was very entitled and I needed to be kind of more away from the family so I can be, become a little more responsible. And I have a sense today, Robert, that my grandmother also knew that she was about to die uh, only because she knew that she was, my, she was my primary caregiver. And she knew that if she wasn't there, uh, then I didn't have anyone to kind of rein me in or to kind of to, to mother me, to father me. Because remember, my parents are divorced. Mm-hmm. I have a stepfather who really doesn't care for me. Uh, my mother is building business. She's in politics. So we were raised kind of, if not my grandmother, we'd be by, by maids and um, butlers and the staff, if you will. And some of the staff were family, uh, but not all were. So. So my grandmother, I think, instinctively knew that if she was not there, that environment was not the best environment to raise a child. Mm. Um, and then she also knew that I needed to be in an environment that gave me some structure. So she kept trying to convince my mother to send me out of the country. Now, my mother, I didn't know then why my mother was resisting. You know, they had these fights all the time. I didn't know why she was resisting. Now, I know that my mother resisted because I was only 10, 11 years old. Mm-hmm. Typically, once you turn 18, going to college, then she sends you out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But she was asking my mother to send me, since I was nine, they were talking wow. about this. Wow. So, so I didn't know back then. So now I know then. So, so once my mother got, finally my mother just got fed up of her mother keep bugging over this. <laughs> and so finally my mother said, okay, I'll send them. And, and so she was going to send me to Paris. Then my grandmother, literally a month 
after my mother agreed, my grandmother died. Mm, wow. So obviously we're not in mourning. So that was, that shit was canceled. So I didn't leave the country, um, that year. Um, and then a year later, my aunt who my mother has sent to America when she was 18, she comes back and she was married with two kids. And my mother just saw how well she turned out. And my mother says, Hey, why don't you take Patrice with you? <laughs> and that's literally how it shifted for me going to France to going to America. Wow. 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 Thanks. Great story. So you were basically one of those spoiled rich kids is what I hear. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> and so you're going to America to get your stuff in shape, right? Yes. So who did you, who did you stay with? My aunt. Okay. So it was your aunt. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, Tell me about that. So now you're, now you're in a new country. Uh, did you already know English? Uh, no, I only spoke English. I mean, I only spoke French. I okay. came from, it was during a time where English was not in style, where really French was kind of the, folks don't realize it, but, you know, uh, 80s and back, you know, English was kind of not the dominant language it is today. It was beginning to be the language of commerce, but it really wasn't the language of style, mm-hmm. if you will, because obviously old Europe was still kind of dominating. And so, so I grew up speaking French and proud of it. And English was kind of like, for what? <laughs> you know, yeah. they're going to yeah. use it. So I ended up being in America. God has a sense of humor. Yeah. So it was tough because I had to learn the language. That wasn't that hard. What was hard was adjusting to coming from a house where you pretty much was catered to, mm-hmm. had freedom, resources, to now living with a woman who had two kids in an apart- in a one-bedroom apartment, mm, the husband who's a cab driver, they're both in mm. school, working while in school, mm. and relying both on what they earn to make a living. And then my mother, when she was sending money for me, they, had to, they managed it. And so I had to then have the lifestyle, live like their children. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that was tough for me. It was good for me, by the way, it was very mm-hmm. good for me. But it was tough for me because I had to adjust. Because think about it. I'm thinking I'm going to America. It's a better place. <laughs> the land of the free, wealth, and all that stuff. <laughs> you follow me? Yeah, more money so, back home. <laughs> for me, it was the reverse. Right. Yeah. So I had to just adjust to that. And that was hard to adjust. I complained about going back with cry uh, for about a year to two. One of my other aunts came from France and sat me down and talked to me real nicely. And out of that, she, she got my heart and she got me to understand that me going back was going to be harmful to my mother. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what <clears throat> it is today. Wow. And so, yeah, it's interesting because usually you think of uh, people come from Africa looking for a better life. They're coming from poverty and then coming to America for a better life. And here you are coming from being rich in Africa, <laughs> going into poverty. Yeah. And that <laughs> so. was tough because as I go to school, I went to this very rich school. It's like, I think it was like $12,000 a year was the tuition back then oh, wow. and for middle school. Wow. <laughs> so, so I go to this school and everybody there is rich. And their image of Africa was like Tarzan and, and, <laughs> and, and monkeys. And so I had a hard time because as I would project my life to them, they just knew I was lying. Mm-hmm. And, and so it was this, so I would get into fights because I felt like I had to defend Africa. It was, it was mm-hmm. a tough it was tough because, so I had to finally just keep quiet and recognize that, okay, 
this environment wants to see me the way they believe I am. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so I just kind of finally just subject myself to it because otherwise I'll be getting a fight all the time. Yeah. And then your, but your entrepreneurial spirit really came up pretty early, right? You, you said, it says here that your, your first business was at 18. Yes. 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 At 18 years old, we, we, we had a family crisis. Uh, that's kind of when, <laughs> uh, because obviously by the grace of the Lord, I was able to conform to, you know, you know, recommending to be in America and also to become a, um, really embrace the American culture and embrace what it meant to be American. And, but also I was a child of privilege. So I lived uh, at 16, I had my own apartment, my own car. And so uh, I'm living this kind of unreal life. But at 18, my country, Cameroon, goes into a political upheaval. Mm-hmm. My family's in the midst of that. My mother kind of uh, trying to manage that. And she gets attacked by the opposition. The military has to come and, and kind of rescue her. Assets get burned. So the money dries up. So I'm relying on Cameroon and all of a sudden I can't, you know, the bank account is dry because they no longer can send money. My siblings go on other parts of the the country, of of Africa. Mm. So it was a tough time. And so when that happened, um, having no option, I asked myself, what do you always want to do? And since it was business, I literally remember I I was sitting down at a cafeteria Folks around me much older than I was, and they were, no one was happy. And I, and I said to myself, oh, Lord, if I don't do anything, I'm going to die having 10 years. <laughs> yeah. That's miserable. Yeah. yeah. And that's why I decided to go into business. Wow. And so, and then you met your wife about the same time, right? I had met my wife at 16. I met her uh, about two <laughs> summers prior uh, at that same hospital because uh, when I got a job there, you know, I wanted to experience what it was to work. And my aunt didn't want me to work because she said, you're here for an education. You don't need a job. You shouldn't be working. Mm. But for some reason, I, I just like business. And the closer thing for that was, I said, to me, working was fun. I said, I want to work. Mm-hmm. So my aunt left town and I, while she was gone, I got a job. And she came back. She, you know, already had a job. But then through, that was at McDonald's. And then my friend had gotten a job at the hospital. My wife worked. And he kept saying, man, come to the hospital. It's funner. It's, it pays better. But I'm like, but I don't like my McDonald's job. You know, back then, <laughs> McDonald's jobs were cool, man. <laughs> <laughs> so Big finally, finally, I got fired from McDonald's for, okay. for calling in sick too much. <laughs> <laughs> when you work, you don't have to. You call in sick when you feel like it, you oh, know. Yeah. Yeah. So then I went and, and worked at the hospital. And that's when I met my wife, Gina. So we okay. were both lived in the same apartment, in the same neighborhood, worked in the same place, but went to a different school. I went to private school. She went to public school in the community. And then you were also mentored by a businessman, Tyrone Grisby. Yes. Where does he fall in the picture? Well, so I start business, and mm-hmm. then along the way, I discovered my passion, which was education and, and training. And then mm-hmm. so I started a nonprofit organization. And, uh, and so while I'm doing that, teaching youth and young adults, entrepreneurship and leadership, I meet Tyrone Grigsby, not knowing he's a Christian. And then he begins to kind of take interest in me. You know, I want his support because he's wealthy um, mm-hmm. and I want him to support our nonprofit. And so, but he takes interest in me because he wants to share the gospel with me. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in turn, he ends up sharing the gospel with me. And, and that's how I came to Christ. And then he ended up kind of mentoring me. He would give me books. He would kind of, because he saw in me a hungry young person who really mm-hmm. wanted to succeed. And so he, he really liked that. And he kind of just began, literally back then, he would meet with me every week for lunch. Mm-hmm. We met like that for probably um, five, six, probably like eight, ten years. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, that was as I grew, mm-hmm. yeah, as I grew, the relationship changed. Uh, I went from just kind of being a kid at his feet, you know, you know, just drawing things he gives me. Mm-hmm. And it's saying, what are you talking about? To, oh, I get it. To getting saved. To, like he would say things like, it's all about seeking and saving the lost. I said, what are you talking about? What do with business? You know, to God beginning to speak to me and to me sharing back with him, to us collaborating, and to me kind of going ahead and pursuing what God called me to do and him chasing me, trying to hold me back, trying to <laughs> <laughs> make sure that I had not lost my mind. So do that relate? I mean, obviously, he was basically like the dad you didn't have. He was, for sure. And really guided you in a lot of ways, not just in faith and in personal life, professionally. Yeah, he was my sounding board. He was the person when any fresh idea, I'll run by him. He was the person that, he was like, you know, Samuel. And who's the prophet that mentored Samuel? Elisha. Yeah, I think it was the one whose kids just went crazy. Um, but I'll look it up. So he was like that to me. I mean, he was, the, before I heard God, I heard Grigsby, Tyrone Grigsby. Mm-hmm. After I heard God, Tyrone Grigsby clarified to me. When I started hearing God, he validated. I mean, he was the person. Literally, he walked with me step by step. And by the way, he also became a major uh, funder of Nehemiah BE. Mm-hmm. So through your experience with him and mentoring, being saved, you found your calling, you found your purpose. What, yes. So what, tell me about that. What, do, what did you feel your purpose was at that time? Well, um, what I like to put it, uh, Robert, is that I first discovered what I felt. At first, I thought my purpose was to use business for good. That's kind of how I mm-hmm. defined it before mm-hmm. my salvation experience. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that I discovered a passion, which was teaching and education. And I distinguished the two because, you know, passion is something that you're excited about, you feel mm-hmm. wired for, that you... But then, so I'm in business and I have this passion for, for education and for helping people. So I built a nonprofit around it. So as I'm evolving, I come to Christ, I get saved. And that kind of turned me upside down because, remember, I'm thinking I'm doing good. See, I wasn't one of those guys who, who was really messed up and then came to Christ, right? I thought I was doing good, but now I wasn't saved. I was a humanist, right? I was a do-gooder. I was one of those guys who... I believe in human potential. I believe in the best in human beings. But when I came to Christ, it really turned my world upside down because I thought I was going the right direction. So I had to take a moment to kind of say, wait a minute, what have I been missing here? And so that took a deeper sense of purpose for me, a purpose that was not surface, but that Mm. really um, uh, spoke to my convictions, if you Mm. will. Mm-hmm. spoke to the faith in me core beliefs mm-hmm. and so so I, so I would say that my purpose journey really began with me recognize that i was called for business right that that's something that i enjoy then recognizing that you know what business education education something that i enjoy and now it was business education and then evolving to oh wow i sense this deeper calling the deeper sense of purpose type of conviction 
mm-hmm. about sharing the gospel and then mm-hmm. tying that together. So it was kind of evolutionary, if you will, for me. So where did the passion for teaching come from? I said, I don't know. Um, <laughs> the only, I really don't. The only thing I can go back to is, as a kid, I was always the kid who would rally folks in the community and would want to help them. I was always the kid who felt real privileged and who always felt like I needed to use that privilege to help others. So, for instance, I got anything, money, whatever it is. I would go back to the neighborhood in the community and I would use it to help my friend. I was that guy who was kind of always the champion of the little guy. I wanted to see them grow and develop, wanted to invest in them. I would always spend my money that way. Back then, I saw myself as a, as a giver, uh, as a, you know, want to help people. I, I loved education. I loved learning. When I first began, I wasn't teaching because I was too afraid to teach. Mm. Remember this, <clears throat> English is my second language. Yeah, right. So I was a bit shy about getting up in front of people and communicating. I would teach around to my sister and to, <laughs> you know, to folks around me. Yeah. My sister would say, go out and talk. I would say, no, you know, she would go to me and she said, but she's my brother, has something to say. I said, I have nothing to say. <laughs> so I was one of those guys who talked in private. But when I started the education organization, I would bring other people like you, Robert, you know, real smart people, and I'll bring them to speak and to teach. And it wasn't until it was at least a year out, maybe more, no one could articulate what I really felt in my heart mm. that needed to be articulated or the way that I felt needed to be articulated. And I would always have to clarify when they would leave. <laughs> and finally, I said, you know what, Patrice, stop being a coward. Instead of you always clarifying and you always, why don't you get up there and you speak? <laughs> there you go, right. Yeah. And, and that's when I built the courage. I said, I guess I have to. And then the other piece is, uh, I was tired of my organization always relying on guest speakers. So mm-hmm. it was very unstable. Mm-hmm. And, then, and the message wasn't consistent. Right, right. So it was really a desperate attempt to create more of a uh, stable uh, kind of doctrine, if you will, a stable mm-hmm. worldview mm-hmm. and a consistency and build it around what I felt was important as a message versus around others. And so yeah. that's what pushed me to start speaking. I discovered that, oh, wait a minute. Now, I began very timid. I began not thinking I was good at it. And then I discovered that, oh, wait a minute, it's something that actually, and I got better and better from there. So it wasn't by accident. <laughs> you, got, you got kind of pushed into it. Do you really need to establish the brand? So, yes. and yeah, relying on other people to try and communicate what you have inside of you without you actually setting the bar is, is, yeah. is, ch- is challenging. So it, also, it sounds like even with Tyrone, he was, sounds like he almost really instilled that passion to do what you're doing right now, which is, teaching, but you're coaching, you're preaching, <laughs> and you're speaking, all the things that Nehemiah Project is all about, um, you know, because that's what Tyrone did with you, right? He, had, he did all he those did. things with you. And, and he did. Part of those Tyrone, things. he's not very successful entrepreneur. He's not the guy, public speaker kind of guy, mm-hmm. but he's an amazing mentor, mm-hmm. amazing, gifted. And mm-hmm. so on a one-on-one basis, he did all that with me. Mm-hmm. I was... He was the first marketplace minister mm-hmm. that I would encounter. That mm-hmm. literally, you know, the Good Samaritan story where he picked him up, risked his life, picked the guy up, uh, put it in the end, and gave money. And then say, by the way, if you run out of money, 
call me. I'll take care of it. That was Tyrone. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So, yeah, I, I, can, I can see how, you, as you tell your life story, you know, your past, with the, just the entrepreneurial past with your, your mom, the vision and all that, and you're just that knack for, for business and vision, and then incorporating that with your passion for teaching. I think, you know, having someone like Tyrone pour into you felt seemed like it just imparted that, hey, I want to do the same thing to, to other business people, but incorporate a holistic approach to coaching and training and teaching, not just talk about business specifically, but just incorporate faith and relationship to have a, to, to teach business owners and entrepreneurs how to have a more fulfilled, comprehensive, holistic life, not just business. Because that's what, if they're only concentrating on business, then that becomes their identity and they're not fully happy or, or fulfilled, right? And you know what? I first started my mom. Because my mother, I would say, you know what? She's not an entrepreneur. She's a politician who uses business as a, as a medium to get there. Mm-hmm. And if you saw her from a business framework, you'll miss her because her priority wasn't always about the bottom line. You know, but if you saw her from what she felt her passion and calling was, you understand that business for her was a means to an end. And then Tyrone really reinforced that, but he did it from a, a very Christian worldview. And, uh, and he kind of gave me substance around that. And so that was kind of evolutionary. In a sense, you know, I would say, though my purpose was evolutionary, but there's a divine order of life, a divine orchestration in the universe, really that as we discover who we are, what we feel called to do, our sense of purpose, whether we're Christian or not, or not Christians, I think there's something in the air that kind of lines it all up. For us as mm-hmm. Christian, we call it Christ and the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Now I'm or something else, but it kind of works together to kind of create this sense of alignment. If mm-hmm. you just honor it and yield to it, you can do amazing things. It's scary because it doesn't, it's not a one, two, three step. Yeah. So it's awesome. I think what happens is, as you're saying, as long as you honor the gifts that you've been given and just do it, regardless of what your position is or where you are in life, it just, things do tend to line up as long as you're honoring the gifts that are given you. You got so, it. The, the, the prophet I was thinking was Eli. Oh, Eli. Gotcha. You know how Eli worked <laughs> with Samuel. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's kind of how it was for me and Tyrone. Gotcha. That was close. I just added a couple more letters, Elisha. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so that that's kind of leads you to presently, Patrice, you're a business trainer, preacher, speaker, coach, and using that, have an international organization, Nehemiah Project, that really encompasses all of that and has a model that people are licensing out and using your curriculum to, to do all of what you're doing to teach it all over the world. So you and Gina have created the Biblical Entrepreneurship Certificate Training Program to help individuals build these kingdom businesses. Um, you've been doing this well over 20 years, and you're also a coach for several small and medium-sized businesses and trained over 5,000 entrepreneurs really worldwide. How many countries is the, this curriculum in? Uh, 22 countries. We have and 15 kind of active, but we've been in 22 countries. So obviously having a, a global reach, um, author of several books and training curriculums, how to start a uh, how to start and operate a, a business based on biblical principles. The forty days, uh, the forty days biblical entrepreneurship coaching guide. Nothing but a jar of oil. Biblical entrepreneurship, young biblical entrepreneurship, the youth version. Purpose and profitability, which is what this podcast is named after. Um, the Kingdom Business Coaching Certification and Couples in Business. And you also publish a weekly e devotional and podcast for entrepreneurs and business executives. Um, released through your network. Um, that's that's really global. So, Patrice, also you're on boards at the Timothy Plan and Cornerstone Leadership Academy. And so, 
Patrice, it's, it's awesome to see. And even you know, personally, I'm with this journey with you as a board member and also a certified teacher to see how your impact, the impact that you've received when you were growing up and now you're now giving it back to entrepreneurs all over the world. And it's growing because newer countries are always coming on board. Um, to see the reach of you impacting people in business and showing them that business is bigger than just making a dollar but it can be used to impact people in a positive way and really see transformation in communities. I mean, you just got back from Madagascar. Tell me quickly yeah. about that as we close up. Over the top, uh, just we had we did a young biblical entrepreneur, uh, one day experience where we worked with 35 young people, giving them a sense of business. We had a couples in business work with, uh, I think it was 16 couples. Um, and sort of fast some teachers. Madagascar is one of the poorest countries in our network, but yet, uh, the most uh, successful countries in implementing our model. We're so proud of them. Awesome. That's that's great. And then every time I you talk about Madagascar, I'm always thinking about the movie. <laughs> <laughs> but I know it's more than that. But that's great that you've had this kind of reach and you can go into a country like that and see transformation because I know there's been hundreds of people that have taken the curriculum there, right? And I know there's... Yes. Oh, they're uh, close to 500 now. Yeah, and no, a number of businesses have started as a result of that. We counted it within, like, I think 10 businesses over several hundred jobs within just 10 businesses awesome. there. So if you think about all the businesses, so there have been several hundred jobs created there as a result. That's great because that's, that's really better than a charity model because instead of giving someone fish to eat, which will get devoured, you teach them how to fish. That's right. Um, so that's that's amazing what you're doing and i'm just so proud and um just uh, privileged to and honored to be on this ride with you as well uh, patrice thank you for coming um, how can they get in touch with you or follow you and learn more about what nehemiah does well of course they can just go to nehemiahproject.org nehemiahproject.org and from there they can kind of follow everything but robert i do want to before we leave here just thank you uh you have come alongside not only as a partner but a friend as a board member both contributing town thousand treasure and even leading this podcast, we could have thought of nobody better than you. Uh, oh, one of the amazing you. teachers on network. You've helped us innovate a lot of things. And so we appreciate it. The best is yet to come. Thank you. No, I agree. I'm really excited for this next season with Nehemiah Project. And uh, so thank you, Patrice, for coming. Thank you all for listening. Um, if you have any other business questions or topics that you'd like to hear, email me at prosper at i61businessdevelopment.com. That's prosper at the letter I, number 61 businessdevelopment.com or we've, we've got a Facebook page called Purpose and Profitability so you can go in there and make your comments there and tune in next week as I talk about the power of branding or the power of your brand in a way you've been out of her before so I really to tune in so thank you for listening this is Robert Fukui and remember purpose plus profit equals transformation thank you for joining us today we hope you have enjoyed this podcast for more information please visit purposeandprofit.com.